0: Christmas everybody! How's everybody doing? I'm so glad that you're here. I know you're thinking, well we still have seven days, but listen, you know how it is. The weekend before and the weekend after and every day in between, it's basically Christmas right now. There's probably several of you, maybe you came to the early service so you can get to a gathering. There's some that are at a gathering right now and it, and pretty much for the next few days it all kind of blurs together. Amen? But I love it. I don't know about you, but this is my favorite time of year. I'm excited because this is the time we celebrate Joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Oh man, I know I need, to, I know I'm preaching to the right people already. Come on. Joy. joy. Yeah, that's what I'm going to talk to you today about. Joy. Joy to the world. It's probably to me the penultimate Christmas carol, right? The one that we always seem to, at least in my mind, always go to. If there's one Christmas carol that sort of symbolizes everything about the Christmas season, it's joy to the world. The fact that we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came. But Jesus came so that we could live lives that were full of joy. And see, the Lord, everything that I believe has happened already in this service, the Lord has been orchestrating and confirming what it is that he wants to say to us. So I promise, because we're in the middle of Christmas season, I'm going to do my best to be a really good steward of your time. And I know, again, some of you already say, and you say that every time, PB. I know, but today I'm really going to try to be a good steward of your time. But I really feel it's important for us to go and understand the importance of joy in our life. So to do that, I'm going to preach three verses to you. Everybody say three. Even, even the media team in the back is like, that's it? I'm like, listen, I promise, if you, you'll, you'll give me some time, we're going to go through these three verses. I may reference some other things. You can write it down. I'm not even going to, going to read them necessarily to you. I may quote some things and throw some things out, just jot it down. But there's three verses today that I want us to really break down. And it comes from a book that when we think of Christmas, you probably don't come to your mind. So go to your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I'm going to say Habakkuk. Some people like to say Habakkuk. It's tomato, tomato, whatever. I've actually looked and tried to make sure because I like to be right and, and, and I haven't found anything definitive. So we're going to call it Habakkuk, all right? That sounds nice in Mississippi anyway, Habakkuk. We're going to go to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. And I'm going to sort of read you three verses, and we're going to illustrate the importance of joy and what joy really is. I think we talk about joy a lot. We, we sing about joy, especially in this season. We, we think we have a, an idea of what joy is, but I think sometimes we, we, we undersell what joy is. I think we have a, a very specific, even narrow-minded avenue or mindset or definition of what joy really is and the way it should operate in our lives but by looking at this particular passage from this prophet in the old testament i believe we'll leave today with a better understanding of what joy is let me give you a little bit of context and again i told you i'd be a good steward i know how it is sometimes i can really get into the weeds i'm self-reflecting right here right and i can spend a lot of time going through everything that happened before i won't do that today is that okay but oh yeah somebody said amen yeah But I'll give you a quick Cliff Notes version. I have to give you some context here. This book up until now is what's called a lamentation. If you read, there's an Old Testament book named Lamentations. Well, this is one of those lamentations that's written by this prophet. What it was is basically someone's lamenting or is sad or is having a conversation with God and you could call it a prayer, but it's kind of not like prayer, and, and none of us probably want to admit because it doesn't sound super spiritual. But it's when something has upset you so much that you have a conversation with God and, and you're not in a good mood. Anybody ever been there? All right, if you haven't, just keep living. I've been there where I've had a conversation with God where it's not, oh God, please, I know that you're, you know, and, and I'm all super spiritual, and God, you're just, so, you know, I get to the point where I'm like, all right, God. I'm not being disrespectful. Some of y'all I can tell already, what? No, I'm not talking about disrespect. I'm talking about I've gotten to the point where I'm saying, God, I've had enough. Anybody ever been there? Listen, I don't know what's going on. Are you even listening to me? It's those conversations that sometimes I hear my wife telling me. Sometimes, you listening to me? It's where I've been going too far and i got to get right. You know, it's when I'm talking to God, God, are you even there? It looks like you're not even paying attention to what's going on. And Habakkuk, the prophet, had gotten to that point. You see the, the God's people, the people that he was with right there, as you've studied the Old Testament and you know, they're on that roller coaster. They're good for a while, and then they're just acting crazy again. Then they're good for a while, then they're acting crazy again. They're like your kids at home for the holidays. They're good for a minute, then they're going to start acting crazy. and then And so it gets to the point where God is saying, all right, I'm going to let you, I I saved you once, I'm going to let you see if you can do right, you do right for a while, then they started getting all crazy again and serving other gods, and so God would have to constantly get their attention, everybody with me to this point? And so Habakkuk is having this conversation, he's like, God, things aren't going well, what's going on? And basically, they have a back and forth, if you read the first two chapters, and even up to this point in chapter three, but definitely the first two chapters, you're reading a conversation, Habakkuk talks to God, and then God talks back, and then Habakkuk... talks and God talks back and essentially God is 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 telling him he's saying listen you're sitting here whining about what I'm not doing but you understand you don't understand I've heard everything you've said I've heard everything you've prayed I've heard and seen everything that's going on and it's for that reason I'm gonna answer and his answer was I'm gonna allow the Chaldeans to come and ravage your people boy don't you know that that got Habakkuk ready to shout right well, whoa, well, well, wait a minute. What? No, the answer to your prayer, the Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to, you know, sort of run roughshod over your people and they're going to take everything and they're going to destroy anything. Well, hallelujah. But the reason I'm, they're going to do that is because I'm going to use that to get your people back into a position where they have to look up toward me and they can put their focus and their trust back in me. That's a good resolution, Right. All right, so that takes us to where we are right here. in Habakkuk, I would wonder if I was Habakkuk, because it's the way that a lot of us go on in our lives when we deal with trouble. We get to a point where we we get an answer, but it's not the answer we want. You ever been there? And so he has a choice. He comes to a crossroads. He comes to a crux, so to speak, where he has to determine whether or not he's going to accept the Word of God that he's been seeking and he's going to trust God, or is he going to continue to s- lie in a state of of disarray? Is he going to get into what we would call a pity party? Is he going to wallow in the shame of the fact that God's not doing what he wants God to do? And we get to this point where this last prayer in this chapter, we get and we realize where it is Habakkuk is. And that's where I want to go quickly. Verse 17, these three verses, this is what Habakkuk says. He says, "'Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines,' Though the labor of the olive may fall or fail, and the fields are going to yield no fruit, my goodness! Well, I wish he would stop right here, y'all. He's saying all, all these things are going to happen. The flock's going to be cut off from the fold. There will be no herd in the stalls. But this is the beauty of it. He gets to verse eighteen. What does he say? Yet. Everybody say yet. yet. That's important. Yet. That means despite all those things. That's a conjunction that has a meaning. It has a definition here. Despite everything that he just mentioned, he says, yet I will what? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heals. So let's talk about that today. Those three verses tell us a big story. You see, the old prophet Habakkuk, you know what? He actually had the secret to life. Anybody ever wondered what, or talked to somebody when you were young or maybe even now you try to find somebody wise? I just need to know the secret of life. I mean, millions and millions of dollars are, are, are made by people who write books and, and give TED talks and go on speaking circuits and lectures and try to tell you how they have everything figured out. And if you follow their seven steps here and these three principles and these five nuggets, then you'll just be great. And listen, there's nothing wrong with following those things. There's a lot of people who've been successful, whatever it is that you, it takes for you to apply to your life. But here's the deal. The secret of life doesn't necessarily fall into any of that stuff. Amen? Amen. The secret to a happy life is knowing that when everything seems to be in disarray and everything seems to be chaotic in your life, you can still rejoice in the Lord. Amen? That's the secret. If you can get yourself to that point, no matter what's going on around you, you can rejoice in the Lord, then your life can be happy. Amen? See, the Chaldeans are going to invade the land, he says. They're going to burn up all those vineyards. That verse 617, all the vineyards, that's where all the all the grapes, all the wine, all those things were going to be burnt up, so they weren't going to be able to drink wine anymore. That obviously hurt their feelings. They couldn't make money, it was going to mess up their economy. My goodness, what happens if something comes in and threatens our economy? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm human like most of you. Sometimes I look at the bank account. I look at investment accounts and what I had in this savings place for, for a moment and where it is this year versus last year. And I, I'll be honest. I look around at things that are going on in the country and I want to cry. I'm like, no. That's the natural part. But here's the beauty of it. If we rejoice in the Lord, guess what? Those things don't matter. Oh, my goodness. They're going to burn up all the olive oil, all the olive yards. Hinder the harvest. They're not going to be able, all the work that they've put in, all the things they've planted for the crops that were going to be their substance that was going to provide for them and able to get the, all those things were going to be destroyed. Understand the flocks were going to be taken. They were going to be robbed of everything they had. Yet Habakkuk says, regardless of that, I know that I know that I know that I'll still need to rejoice where in the Lord. So the question I have for you today and what we're going to, really dig into for the next few moments is is is, are you in a position right now today where if that same thing were to happen to you, if the same thing were to happen in your life, would you be able to rejoice in the Lord? Would you be able to say the same thing? Let's break this down. There's a couple of points I want you to understand and here's the first one if you're a note taker. The first thing you need to know today is that the Christian has joy. And I told myself coming in today that I promised myself, I pray for the Lord to help me that I wouldn't stop here and just preach 30 minutes on it because it would be, it's one of those moments where I could, but I'm going to try to be good. Listen, the Christian life is supposed to be full of joy. In other words, if, you, if you're proclaiming to be a Christian, but you walk around with a long face all the time, you're not doing something right. <laughs> is this Okay. You didn't get saved to come into a church and be, be miserable for the rest of your life. If that's the case, then there's something that's messed up because we're supposed to have joy. I'm going to get into it in a moment. Some of you are already thinking something. But, but if you just come in and it's all stoic and all serious and all, oh, I got to come to church, and that was the mode, that was the me- that then we're doing something wrong. Now, don't, this is the point I don't want you to misconstrue. Am I telling you that once you get saved, you're going to feel happy all the time? Everybody understand the difference in that? I may not always feel like getting up in the morning, but once I get my spirit right and I really dwell on it, I usually get pretty joyful quickly And knowing I have the opportunity to go gather with my brothers and sisters. I have a family that God has allowed me to have, that I can spend time with, that I can grow from, that I can uh, pull from, that are going to encourage me and they're going to lift me up, amen? And I get to go before the throne room of God. I have an opportunity to come in and have His presence invade and inhabit this place and I get to spend time in His presence, amen? And I don't know about you, that makes me feel good. Doesn't make me feel, Shouldn't make me feel angry, it shouldn't make me feel bitter, I shouldn't be whining and moaning. Oh, I got to go to this place. got to And listen, don't I'm not trying to to make anyone feel bad. I'm not trying If if you're in that season, we've all been through that season. I've been in moments where that's the way I felt, but I've quickly realized it's because my joy was not in the right place. Getting a little ahead of myself. We'll get to that in a moment, but you need to understand that the Christian life is supposed to be full of joy. Any religion or any type of spiritual guidance that makes you think that anything that's joyful is wrong or against God. And everything is supposed to be serious and stoic. And you're supposed to, the Christian life is, you're supposed, that's junk. A relationship with a father through his son, Jesus, brings a fullness of joy that I should experience and exude every day of my life. Come on, somebody needs to hear that today. I'm looking around, somebody needs to hear that today. This Christian life is supposed to be full of joy. It's not a system of melancholy. So many people walk around with long faces and they're down in the dumps and they're like, oh me, what am I doing? Understand every true believer has a joyful heart. If Jesus has become the Lord of your life, if you've allowed him to sit upon the throne of your heart, are y'all listening to me today? Then there's joy in your heart. Regardless of what your emotions may try to tell you, regardless of what you may feel in a specific moment, there should be joy in your heart if you have truly experienced Jesus. Now listen, it isn't something superficial. I want to make sure that's clear. I'm not talking about a superficial, (laughs) you just giggle all the time. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Okay. I'm not talking about denial where you're just happy go lucky because you're kind of you're kind of smiling like those memes and the house is burning down behind you and you're just smiling <laughs> everything's great everything that's not what I'm talking about It's not always just going to be roars of laughter but you need to understand that true joy is the calm that we can we can stay in this place of calm and in a sense of calm even if those things are going crazy around us Put it to you this way The joy that's in our heart is more like the calm of the settled water in the deep sea. It's undisturbed by those elements that are constantly affecting the surface. It's the ability that if you were in a water, you could remain still and steadfast and calm, even though waves and things all around you are going crazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the joy that we were create that's why we sing joy to the world is because that's the joy that's supposed to be going on in our heart and we're supposed to be experiencing and not only is it just for us to experience it's for us to exude and show to other people. Amen. All right. So that's where that's that's the first thing I need you to know is that the Christian has joy but here's the second thing you need to understand. The joy is in the Lord. Go back to that verse 18. He said, "I will rejoice He didn't say, I'm just going to rejoice in myself, did he? I'm going to rejoice that I'm a great person and everyone likes me. Great. And then the moment everyone turns on you and no one likes you, you can't rejoice anymore. I'll rejoice in the fact that, man, I have a great house and a great job. And those, hey, listen, I'm thankful you have those things. But if that's all you're rejoicing in when the house does burn down or when it it, it sort of rots or or whatever happens, and when maybe that job decides to go a different direction, then where's your joy going to go? Does this make sense? You can rejoice in the. I'm going to rejoice in my family, and I'm grateful. I'm glad this is a time we celebrate and spend family. But, you know, just like me, myself, my family has only been appointed a time here on earth. And, you know, I pray, and God forbid, but if their time on earth ends before mine, and I'm just rejoiced in my family, where am I going to rejoice in? This isn't real popular to talk about. It almost, I know, can sound cruel. I hope it's not coming across that way. But I need you to understand that where you put your, your where you rejoice and where you put your joy is, is, is where your fountain's going to flow from. A lot of people are sad, even Christians, is because their joy has been put in things that are temporary, not in the Lord. I'll even say it this way, and I think you know my heart. I've been around a, a, a long time enough. I think you know my heart. But if you put and rejoice just in all seasons, that's dangerous. I believe in the leadership we have in all seasons and where we're going, and I know the Lord has us. But I also know that things can happen. If you just put your, if you rejoice in Pastor Bradley, now please don't do that. Because I could do something tomorrow that disappoints you, and all of a sudden you' mad and you' sad and you're devastated and you're blaming me and I, rejoice where. Rejoice in the Lord. Know and understand where it comes from. This joy implies knowledge. Let me make sure this is clear. You cannot rejoice in the Lord until you know the Lord. You cannot rejoice in the Lord until you know the Lord. Listen, think about your relationship. Several of you are sitting next to your husband or your wife, or maybe you're just sit next to people in your family, if, if maybe you and I have a relationship and you know, here's, here's kind of the, the point that I want to make here. You realize we don't really have trust and we can't really celebrate someone if we don't know them, right? I mean, I love my wife. We've been together in marriage 12 years and if you count our dating years, my goodness, I'd say probably about 16 years, that's a long time. I trust her with a lot of things, but I will say this. In our first year dating, I didn't trust her the same way I do after 16 years. Does that make sense? Because I know her. I know what she excels at that I don't. I know what she doesn't excel at that I do. Does that make sense? We have that type of relationship where we have learned each other's strengths. We know which is better to to let her handle, what's better for me to handle, what's better for us to try to tackle ourselves or, or together. We have been able to learn that because of relationship. Listen, you can't fully rejoice in the Lord because you can't fully trust the Lord if you don't know the Lord. If He hasn't proven Himself to be faithful to you, if you haven't seen His work in your life, then it's going to be hard for you to rejoice in the Lord. Because if you know the Lord, guess what's going to happen? You're going to love the Lord. Amen? If you know the Lord, you love Him. We can't rejoice in God as we ought to until we have found in Him those things that satisfy every desire of the heart and fill up every longing of the newborn life. You have to understand that when we get into that place and we fully know God, we come to a a realization that there isn't anything on this earth that can satisfy us like Him. Amen? I could give you check after check and you can have all the money in the world and some of you would still be happy. You'd smile. That'd be great. But... At the end of the day, that wouldn't satisfy you the way I could, if I shared Jesus with you, amen? I'll put it to you this way, follow me. I know you're going to think, man, you're going off the deep end, but can I illustrate it in some way? So, me and my family have a cat. Any cat people in here? Yeah? I wasn't a cat person until 2020. We were in the middle of COVID and, you know, stuck at home, and we go outside one day and we hear this, You know, just real loud. And like, where in the world is this coming from? And so this little kitten, long story short, had crawled up into the engine of my wife's car. And so I tried to turn it on to get rid of it one way or the other. (laughs) Chase it away. What were y'all thinking? I think I was that kind of person. I was just trying to chase it away. I'm going to tell you what. That cat was resilient. Nothing. Meow, meow, meow. Nothing. I drove down the road came back meow, meow, meow. again, I wasn't trying to do anything harm. some of y'all are looking at me kind of crazy here <laughs> we end up getting this finally getting the cat out of the car I could I won't go into again, I told you I'd be a good steward of your time. I'm not going to go into the long story of how this cat cost me all kinds of things because I had to. I had to pull a battery out to get the cat out and then in trying to put the battery back into my car so why I don't touch anything mechanically. It like blew a fuse and we had to get a tow and it was just like... Then I really did start thinking about what I could do to this cat. but. But we put the cat out and started feeding it. And of course, my boys at the time were like, oh, yes, let's keep this cat. My oldest boy was like... I was like, fine, this might be a good moment to teach responsibility, yada, yada. So for the last two years, I have had a cat. (laughs) And, you know, as much terrible things that I, I'll say terrible things, as much grief as I've gotten from this cat, I mean, there's still scratch marks that we're going to have to paint over one day and we've bought new furniture (laughs) because of, you know, all the gamut and gotten all the claws out. But now this cat is my cat. She comes and sits with me every time I come home and every time I lay down, she's up there in my lap I have to get saved again every day. I look, you know, for a while looking at her, I'm like, yeah, you're acting all nice, but you are such a blessing of the Lord. I say I like to say that I've noticed in watching this cat that um, she does things that kind of are funny sometimes because, again, most of the cats I had growing up, we kept them outside for rats and snakes, and that was kind of a thought here, but it didn't go there. This cat lives inside, but uh, we have gas and electric heaters. We don't have a central heat in our house, so we, we, we turn on the gas heaters or electric heaters in the rooms when we need to when it gets cold like it kind of is right now. And I noticed that cat... Never does this any other time, but when those heaters are on, that cat's going to go in front of that heater and just plop down and stay there for hours. Hours. Or if, you know, again, don't tell my wife she just walked in, but if I like take off my clothes and throw them down instead of placing them where they're supposed to, you know, they're still warm, I guess, for me wearing them, she'll go lay on those clothes and there's different spots, different bags I notice she likes to lay. Why does she lay in those places? Well, because those spots are warm, much warmer than the wood floor we have. Does this make sense? And again, some of y'all are thinking, what am I talking about? The cat's finding the bright spots, the place where they find warmth, the place that are comfortable, and when she finds those spots, she will stay there as long as she can until something makes her physically move. Is this making sense? Some of you... Maybe struggling living a life of joy, but part of the reason is because the only thing that can bring joy is Christ. You see, the cross of Christ, there at the foot of the cross, when we go and we lay down everything we have at the foot of the cross, that's the, only, that's the brightest spot we have here on this earth. And so you know what? Just like my cat likes to lay in front of the heater in the warm spot, I want to make sure I go to the cross and I lay there as much as I can. I want to go there and make sure that the, the joy that I'm gaining is from him. Yeah, the, the, the economy is going to get bad and we're going to feel bad about it. The, the politics of this day are going to aggravate us and we're going to get upset. Our families are going to act crazy. They, they're going to act crazy at times, right? And it's going to get us aggravated. Our job, those people at work, they're never going to do everything the way we want to and we're going to get aggravated. Am I talking to anybody today? Your church isn't always going to make a decision that you like. They're not always going to like your ideas. The preacher's not always going to preach something that's that's tickling your ear and exciting you. But I'm here to tell you, regardless of any of that, when I go to the cross and I get into the place where I realize none of that matters, all that matters is the fact that I've been forgiven and I didn't deserve it, and I lay at the foot of the cross, then the joy of the Lord can renew on the inside of me, and I can once again become strong. The joy that we have comes from the Lord. Here's the next thing I want to look at. The third thing. We all have joy. That joy comes from the Lord. But that joy that we get from the Lord is called the joy of salvation. It's the joy of salvation. Again, I don't want to be repetitive, and if I am, I'm sorry, but I'm making to make sure that this point is getting across, okay? The joy isn't that God... Is going to just give us everything we want. I'm going to say that again. This joy isn't the joy that God's going to give me everything I want. I know we're in that season, but you know, and people use this and I'm not trying to be cliche, but it's serious. We sometimes treat our prayer lists and our prayer life as if it's a letter to Santa and we just want him to give him all this so we can all be happy. And guess what? That's not the joy that we have. I don't have joy in knowing that God's going to answer every single prayer and give me what I want in those immediate moments. And guess what? I'm glad that he did because there have been a lot of things I prayed for that if he would have answered them right there in the way I was praying in that moment, my life would be a wreck. I can say that. You all may have just been praying for everything pure and holy, but there are things I've asked God for that I thought were right. And He, I'm glad He knew better. I'm glad He knew better. The joy we have is the joy of the salvation. Look again at verse 18. He said that I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of what? You see, when you've been truly forgiven and God has truly delivered you from a lifestyle of sin, when He's truly delivered you from those addictions that Satan has had you bound with, guess what? You can't help but have a song of salvation in your heart. You can't help but sing. Some of you are like, well, I I never sing. Well, I, I I don't care if it sounds good or not. That's not what we're talking about. But if you've been forgiven, you have a song that you can't help but sing from your soul. You can't help but sing that, oh, the joy of my salvation is here. When you know that you know that you know that the Lord has delivered you and he saved you, you're going to have a song of praise in your heart. It happens all throughout the Bible. I'll give you some quick examples here. Exodus chapter 15, very familiar story, happens right before. The children of Israel are enslaved. Moses leads them out. They come to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted. In front of them, just one of the most incredible miracle stories you'll ever read. They walk through. They're scared. They don't know it at any moment. If that water was to crash down, they would all drown. If 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 they don't make it across, and Pharaoh's army catches them, they're going to kill them all. But as soon as they get across, and the Red Seas come back together, and all of Pharaoh's men are are destroyed, guess what happens? Exodus 15 happens, and the entire chapter is a song of praise. It says, Moses led the people in a song of praise. Why? Because the Lord had shown Himself as their Savior. Amen? They sang things like, He is my strength and my song. He is my God who is like the Lord. He will reign forever and ever. I'm here to tell you, when you experience Jesus and you realize that He has completely changed your life, you can't be quiet. The joy of that moment is going to to operate. Amen? Look at the story of Jonah. Again, I won't go through it. A lot of you, if you grew up in Sunday school, are familiar with Jonah, but Jonah was told to go preach, and he refused, and so a storm happens. He gets on this boat. They throw him overboard because he realizes that God's not going to allow him to do anything but what God told him to do. And I think it's interesting. We, we kind of skip over this point. We kind of think, well, he got thrown out and sort of the cherry on top of his misery as a whale comes and swallows him. But notice it's the, the word says, if you ever read it, the Lord had prepared a fish to swallow him. The Lord saved him from the ocean by swallowing with this fish and got him into a point where literally he had nothing else to do but to sit there and talk to God. Again, this is a side nugget. I won't go into it. But sometimes if you find yourself in a hardship, that could have been the only path God could use to get you where He could talk to you. To put you in a spot where you would listen to Him. And if you read in Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, Jonah begins to pray while he's in the fish and he's basically repenting and he's admitting that he knows that he's done wrong and that he, he should have listened to the voice of God. And notice he ends his prayer with this verse in verse 2.10. He says, salvation is of the Lord. He knew that in that moment there was only one thing that could save him and it was the Lord. And it says immediately after he prayed that prayer, the next verse says that the, the fish regurgitated him onto the shore. So even Jonah in the midst of that knew that true salvation comes from the Lord and he had a song of praise to the Lord in that moment. Amen. I need you to understand something about salvation. Salvation has two sides to it. We have a role and God has a role. We have really one side, one role. What we're supposed to do when it comes to salvation is we're to repent and we're to believe. We can't save ourselves, can we? All we can do is repent and say, I've done wrong and I'm going to stop doing wrong. I'm going to turn away from it and I'm going to believe God. God's side is once we do our side of the bargain, His side is He regenerates our soul and He restores us. Amen? We can't regenerate our own souls. We can't restore relationships. And a lot of times we live in pity and don't have joy because we're trying to fix everything ourselves. Guess what? You're going to stay in that cycle and you're going to continue to be miserable. But the point where you say, God, I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to turn away from all these wicked things that I've been doing and I'm going to believe that you're going to help me. Guess what? That releases his hand to come into your life, begin to regenerate the person he created you to be and restore you to the place in him that you were created to be. Amen? And when that happens, you can't help but have a song of joy in your heart. Fourth thing. It's a joy of salvation, but here's a beautiful thing about all of this. It's a joy of anticipation. It's a joy of anticipation. Let's be real. You know what the the best part, the reason why I love this season of Christmas, the reason you love this season of Christmas, the reason your kids and grandkids and everybody... Why do we love the season of Christmas? anticipation that's really where the fun is isn't it it's just all the moments that lead up to christmas i'm not trying to burst a bubble and they're great memories and as i get older i kind of appreciate those things too but listen the excitement is all of the moment in the season that leads up to it and then christmas day happens and sometimes christmas day is kind of like deflating you're like oh it's over let's go ahead and get the tree down right My kids have been anticipating Christmas for a long time. They've been waiting. Listen, in our society, you can turn on the TV and go to Freeform. They've had the 25 days of Christmas. You're anticipating this this day for 25 days. AMC's been running Christmas movies since before Thanksgiving, anticipating the day. Hallmark, they've been playing Christmas movies, well, for probably 12 years straight. But they've been anticipating Christmas. Everybody, you're ready for the moment. I know in, the, in how I work, I work, at, you know, we anticipate a vacation in a time of rest, amen? And sometimes, I'll, I hate to admit, it, we anticipate it and we get there and those two to three days are great and then I'm looking around like, oh, kind of need to get back to work. Why? Because the anticipation is much greater. Does this make sense? If my wife buys me a present and wraps it and sits it by the tree, it's much worse. You know, the excitement of what it might be kind of gives me way more thrills than even actually opening. Not that I don't appreciate gifts and that it, it can't be exciting, but sometimes the anticipation of what it may be is where the thrill is. Everybody with me? Well, listen, the Christian life is not one of just happiness, but it's one of progress. Look once again at verse 19. He says, the Lord is my strength. He says, he will make my feet like deer's feet, that he will make me walk upon my high heels. The King James uses the term a hind's feet, which is like a female deer. You see, the Christian life, we're not just supposed to be happy. It's one thing, we are going to have that song of praise when we get saved, amen, And we're going to know and trust the Lord that He's going to lead us out so we can have those moments of joy. We can have that spirit of of happiness and release in our life. But here's the thing. God didn't save us just again so we could get or, or sit down and just have those happy moments. Oh, yes, God. Thank you. I'm so glad you saved me. Next week, you're still sitting here. I'm glad you saved me. Next thing you know, you've been sitting in church saved for 30 years. God, I'm just glad you saved me. And there's been so much more that He's wanted you to do, that He's wanted you to experience, that He wanted to use you to do. Is this making sense? No, it says He wanted you to climb. Climb, to go higher from glory to glory. Notice this. It's a climb from one high place of grace to another. You see, but we're not just grasping at gaudy bubbles that vanish with the touch. And again, I hope this doesn't come across a wrong way and make you think that I just... But, but also, again, growing up, anticipating and, and experiencing Christmas. I loved getting up and I love gifts and I have great memories of, of gifts that my parents gave me and things of that nature. But let's be real. I also know, that, especially as I've got older and been able to reflect, the excitement of a lot of those things. They, I mean, they may have been great in the moment, but after I played with them for a week, eh, what else is there to do? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're going to fade away. Listen, we're not just reaching for some hyper-spiritual moment, some moment of super happiness or or a great feeling of of something that's just going to be temporary and last for a day. We're talking about going after the things of God that are going to last. This isn't a blind wish. The joy that we have is a justified hope in knowing that there's good things coming. Amen? Amen? In order to walk like this, that's why it says we have to have hinds' feet. The New King James says deer. It's a female deer. A lot of you know a lot more about deer than I do, but just in the little study I've done, a hind, specifically a female deer, their back legs are able to step exactly where their front legs have stepped. In other words, they're in perfect symmetry. If the front paws touch something the back paws are going to touch the same spot. So if they know that there's a surety there, the back legs are going to touch the same place the front ones did. Does this make sense? As a result, that's why female deer specifically are able to run without any form of abandonment. When it's time to go, they go. They don't have to stop and think about it. Does this make sense? Not only that, I kind of think about it in terms of maybe they have a built-in four-wheel drive. It doesn't matter what type of terrain they're on, These deer are able to go and run, and if they need to climb, they can climb, and they don't have to slow down, and they can escape predators. Does this make sense? Why do you think the prophet was praying that we would have legs like this? It's because when God says, go, we can go without abandonment. When God says, move forward, you don't have to stop. You can keep going. Is this okay? Okay. When God says, I want you to climb up here with me, yeah, this may, this may He tells you, I need you to move into this. I want you to start doing this and move into this ministry. You're thinking, well, God, I don't know if I could get there. No, He wants you like the hind to be able to go right after it and to trust no matter how bumpy it may be, no matter how, how treacherous the, the climb may be, you just keep going because if He's told you and shown you something, He's going to provide and make a way for it to happen. Amen? This is the way we have to live. We have to run the race that's been set before us, and we need to be able to do that without trepidation. If we're having to stop every step, we're gonna we're, we're limiting God, amen? But the joy we have is, okay, God has, has proven himself faithful. He saved me. He's prepared me. He's told me this is where we're headed. I may not in my physical eyes be able to see how this is going to happen, but I know that if God said it, that he means it. What did we just sing? I quoted all the time. I'm glad now I remember which song it was. The first one we sang today, my testimony, has that line in it. If I'm not dead, then God's not what? He's not done. That means that I need to keep moving. I don't need to stop. Last thing. This joy is independent of earthly possessions. So, as we establish for this joy, is independent of earthly possessions. To live a life of joy really has nothing to do with what you have. The joys of the believer are not the things of this world. We're independent of those things. Everything can look dark and it can look dank and it can appear treacherous and dangerous here on this earth. But I'm here to tell you that God still has a work for you to do. Really quickly, I'll share you the story of John Bradford. Anybody familiar with him? John Bradford was a a minister, a Protestant minister in England in the 1500s. He had sort of come up studying history, and if you you do any study of of England, especially during this time, it was kind of a, they flip back and forth all the time between Catholicism and then when Protestantism, once Martin Luther had sort of set the stage from there, there was a flip back and forth. One ruler would be Catholic and the next one would be Protestant and the next one, it would just go back and forth. The Catholic rulers hated the Protestants and the Protestants hated the Catholics. that makes sense but anyway he he became this Protestant minister he became a a student of the Word of God and began to to study and became a minister going around and sharing the Word of God with people across England and while he was doing this, Mary the also known as Bloody Mary, took over England and Mary was a Catholic and she hated Protestantism and anybody who was spreading Protestantism, so she took John Bradford and put him in in jail. He basically was in jail, in prison. And most people, again, this would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? But John Bradford was this type of person that knew that his joy wasn't in the fact that he couldn't be free and do what he wanted to on earth. His joy was in Jesus. There were Two pretty cool things I've read about John Bradford. They say that the night before his death, he had been arrested and he was burned at the stake. Literally, they would tie them to a piece of wood with a couple other people. They'd light it on fire and sit there in public and watch them burn. I know that sounds kind of... But that's just the way it was. So he was about to be set on fire, burned at the stake, all because of his stance for Jesus and the truth of Jesus. But they said that he was in a room with a roommate, and the night before he's about to get burned at the stake, most of us would be panicking, crying out to get, like literally crying, yelling, wailing out to God. I don't know about y'all, but that's probably the way I would think I would be. God, you got to do something supernatural, you know. They said that he was literally sort of swinging with glee from the bed, and he told his roommate, fine, shining, we're going to make tomorrow when the flame is kindled. Some of y'all are thinking, man, that dude was crazy. No, because he knew he was dying with purpose. His joy wasn't in a circumstance, it was in who he was following. They said that the next day they took him out and as they were tying him to this other man that was going to be burned and they were getting ready for it, he looked over at the other man and he said this, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. I couldn't imagine the torture that he was about to endure, but that's what, where his mind went. His joy was in the fact that soon and very soon he was going to be in the presence of the king, amen? Amen. If only we could have that in our daily lives. I don't know any of us who are facing being burned at the stake, but sometimes the things that the enemy throws in our path and the things that we face in life can seem quite difficult. Amen. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what uh, trial or tribulation you may be enduring right now. It only endures for the night. Joy comes when? In the morning. If you will hold on to joy, I'm here to tell you, God is going to bring you out. So my question today, do you know the Lord like that? Some of you may be listening to me today and say, PB, this all sounds well and good, but I just don't know what you t- I've never experienced joy. It seems like every time I face a circumstance, all I do is get depressed and get anxious and get... I'm not telling you you're not saved. Don't listen to me and misconstrue it. Don't let the enemy try to morph my words here. But I want you to hear something. Maybe you just haven't experienced the Lord that way. And you need to do so as I need to mute this. Have you found your all and your everything in the Lord? Unhappy Christians simply do not know enough about God. Sadly, some of them are the ones who think they know the most and they're the most miserable, but I'm here to tell you, unhappy Christians, they know little about the world because the joys of the worldling, they're kind of like a firework. You see the firework tents are already popping up, right? Through Christmas and through New Year's. People are going to buy them, they're going to light them, they're going to start popping off everywhere. Listen, we do it. But again, every time we light fireworks, they're good for a moment, but there always comes that point where we've lit the last one and we look around and we're like, "Is that it?" Why? Because it's just fleeting, it's temporary. But that person who puts their joy in the Lord, guess what? It's more like a star. While a firework is going to burn up, a star is going to abide forever. Amen? Let me leave you with this. This is a definition from a guy named Dr. Randall Smith. I want to give him credit. I I took this from him. But what is joy then? Joy is the resolute assurance that God has neither lost interest in my problems or has lost the power to deal with my problems. Joy is not the way you feel. Joy is simply the resolution of knowing that God hasn't stopped caring about what I'm going through. Nor has He lost the power to handle what I'm going through. God sees what I'm going through and He has a plan. All I have to do is trust Him. And my joy rests in the fact that even though I don't see it or know how it's going to happen, it's going to work out to His glory. Amen? This season, as you stand, is the time we celebrate that. Again, think about it and realize that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years passed by where God said nothing. Or at least nothing was recorded from God. There was no new scripture, no new revelation. There was no prophets having words or writing books. 400 years between the last prophecy of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament I don't know about you, but I I know there were people who revered the Lord who probably had to be wondering, God, have you forgotten us? God, have you failed us? God, where are you? Do you not hear us? Do you not see us? All the while, God had been working since the dawn of time on an answer that would bring restoration for His people and redemption through His own Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, when the angels came to Mary and the angels came to Joseph, the night where they're born in a stable and the angels appear to the shepherds and tell them, Fear not, for I have glad tidings of great what joy. It was that assurance one more time that I have everything worked out. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I'll ask you to bow with me just a moment. But I feel so strongly. I felt it all week in preparing for this today. I'm not saying there's going to be any kind of great altar move and you may walk out of here and the Lordness may be putting something in your mind. There's at least one person that's here today listening to me I know. You may have even made statements like, I just don't know about this Christmas spirit stuff. I'm just not feeling it. And the truth is, it has little to do with, per se, Christmas spirit. You lack joy. You've lost the confidence that you've once had in the Lord. That means you're a bad person. You don't have faith. You're still following after. But maybe you've allowed your circumstances to make you bitter. You've allowed your circumstances to make you anxious, you've allowed circumstances to bring fear into your heart, and the enemy has used that to completely squander the light of his joy that's on the inside of you. I know because I've been through seasons of that in the last few years. People come up and they talk to you and they say, something seems different, what's wrong? You and at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with circumstance. It's what you've allowed the enemy to persuade you of. I'm here to tell you the truth is, is no matter what you're facing right now in this moment, as dark as it may be, as treacherous as it may be, as big as it may be, I'm here to tell you that Christ has promised that he will lead you through it. He is the savior of the world. And if you will rejoice in him, there's nothing on this earth that can bring us down. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to pray for us all that we'll be able to experience and trust and rejoice in the Lord of heaven and the Savior that came, Jesus Christ. If you're listening to me today and you're like, you know, PB, you're, you're, you're talking to me. After I pray and we dismiss to go to class, if you want to come down, I'll agree in prayer with you. I'll believe with you. We'll pray that the joy of the Lord is renewed on the inside of you. Father, I thank you today. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the joy that we have been given. Father, you have given us joy through your son, Jesus. The fact that our sins have been forgiven. Father, we don't have to pay that debt that we owed. You've paid it for us. And that alone, God, should be enough for us to rejoice for the rest of our days. Father, forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for putting our joy in the things of this world too often. Father, these things are going to pass away. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be left fear, feeling anxious or fearful at times because we're going to face things that we can't fix. But Father, you never asked us to fix it. You've asked us to believe and put our trust in you. So today, renew the joy of your people. Renew the joy of our salvation. Father, renew the joy of our anticipation. Father... We're still on this earth. It's not our best days aren't behind us. You, ha, you still have great things ahead of us. So, Father, help us to anticipate and believe and to look forward instead of looking to the future with anxiety or fear. Help us to look with joy and purpose and hope. Father, I pray, God, that you will give us the legs, give us those hind legs as you talked about in the scripture or mentioned in scripture. Give us the trust and the ability to run after You and to chase Your Word, even if we don't see how it's going to come the path. Help us to trust You. I thank You for all that You've done. We thank You for Jesus. I pray safety and traveling mercies on everyone here that will be traveling over the next several days. Father, I pray that Your hand be upon each one as we gather with families, open up opportunities, and give us words to say that will point others toward You, toward Your light. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Hope you guys have a great week. Go get the devil fits this week and be joyful.